You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Last night, the U.S. Federal Reserve's Federal Open Market Committee, or FOMC, delivered its verdict on U.S. interest rates. Of course, they left interest rates unchanged. But it was what came after that, in other words, what Jay Powell, the chair of the U.S. Federal Reserve, said that was interesting the markets and interested me as a commentator. Did it interest Philip Saunders, co-head of multi-asset growth at 91 in London? I suspect it did, Philip. Uh, yes, I mean, Lindsay, I think it, what it did was uh, sort of confirm what we thought at any rate. Um, but it was effectively a hawkish surprise. And, you know, I think that generally speaking, market participants basically have been fretting about inflation risks. They sort of, you know, the narrative basically incorporates a view that, you know, the Fed basically are sort of going to run the economy hot and, you know, they've lost their inflation discipline and all that kind of stuff. You know, that basically narrative has been fairly persistent, uh, you know, particularly during the course of this year. You know, we've seen a, a recovery that's been far more dramatic, post-COVID recovery that's been far more dramatic than most market participants have expected. Yes. And, you know, I think it's also that, you know, the Fed wasn't expecting that either. And so, therefore, whereas uh, Powell's position previously was that we're not even thinking about thinking about quantitative, tapering quantitative easing, this time around, what this illustrated was that uh, that they are now thinking about thinking about <laughs> tapering quantitative easing, yes. and that this could come as early an announcement could come as early as September, whereas most uh, market participants basically thought that you know the earliest it would be would be December. And the other thing that's, of course, happened is that basically the dot plots, the famous dot plots, you know, where each um, FOMC uh, member contributes their expectations in terms of interest rate um, uh, increases. So all of a sudden, basically, whereas there were going to be no interest rate increases until 20, well, till after 2023, uh, now those have changed and there seems to be a sort of consensus on the FOMC that, uh, uh, that there will be interest rate increases at some point, maybe two in 2023. And so this has sort of, you know, obviously come as a somewhat unpleasant surprise because we know we're in liquidity-driven markets and that if you have changes at the margin, i.e. We, we move from a position of it all being about tailwinds, liquidity tailwinds, to something a bit more mixed with some potential liquidity headwinds, then that sort of changes the game. Okay, so we're looking at 2023, which I, I can't even imagine next month, let alone 2023. But on the other hand, the stock market and other asset classes, risk asset classes, are discounting measures. They are discounting mechanisms. And so if you take where we are now, which is mid-June, almost the end of the year, so we're almost in 2023 when it comes to the 18-month period, which is much vaunted by the so-called analysts. So people are starting to say, well, well, this is going to happen in 18 months to two years' time, so we better start offloading a little bit because interest rates are going to go up. I don't know. It's, I, yes. I find that a little bit fanciful, but anyway, that's, that's some of the theories that I've heard. Yes, of course. And, and so, you know, we, we live in a highly financialized environment, uh, and it means that basically we've got to pay a lot of attention to policy and policy shifts. And this one basically... You know, we're being told in a way that the communication is that the, you know, the punch bowl is going to be, is not going to necessarily be removed rapidly and fast, but basically they're going to start to remove it or not replenish it 
So we've still got very loose monetary conditions. Growth is still basically pretty buoyant. But liquidity conditions at the margin or expectations about liquidity conditions at the margin are having to be revised a bit. And that, and that means that basically, if you're very long risk assets in this kind of environment, then that's, you know, this change at the margin should give you a, a certain amount of pause for thought, particularly where valuations are. If you look at credit spreads, they are, to quote that famous uh, Monty Python checks, they are wafer thin, wafer thin, and uh, <laughs> equity valuations are clearly elevated looking at sort of, you know, where, where, there's, where the starting point is. So, so the market is exposed. You know, you only need a little bit of bad news to, to have an impact. But at the moment, equity markets have actually taken it reasonably well. Uh, but I think we haven't seen the rest of it. Now, the other point to note, uh, of course, which is significant, uh, is that everybody looks at the Fed and they don't pay attention to what's happening in China and uh, what the PBOC are doing. You know, the other most important, uh, you know, second most important central bank in the world. And the credit impulse in China has clearly inflected and and clearly inflected, you know, some months ago. Uh, and um, and they're now moving to a sort of more sort of, you know, a, a much less easy policy because they've got a significant debt burden that they're concerned about. And so what it what that amounts to is that, you know, in fact, if you look, go back to the sort of growth cycle after the global of the global financial crisis, you know, actually Chinese mini cycles. You know, they, they, it was very much sort of stop go. They'd ease credit to prevent growth sort of deteriorating too much. And then basically they would then rein it in, you know, relatively soon after that. And that really explained the mini cycles in financial markets as well. So I think the fact that uh, things are rolling over, the policy impulses is actually rolling over in China. And they're beginning to, you know, consider that it's going to start to shift in, in the States means that you've, you, you've potentially got, it's more than just, it's more than just the Fed. What I'm saying is more than just, um, uh, the Fed, um, beginning to talk about tapering. You know, things are beginning to shift that will impact liquidity, which will potentially create a headwind for, you know, risk asset valuations. Okay, so quantitative easing uh, may be tapered. What do they call it? Quantitative tightening. Anyway, there may be some less glamorous numbers being brought back every single month by the Fed from September, from what you've said. Okay, that's taken as read. The second thing is continuing the food thing. You were talking about a wafer thin mints from The Meaning of Life by Monty Python. What about humble pie? Did Jay Powell, the chair of the US Federal Reserve, at any stage mention the word transitory? And if not, do you think that he's actually realized that it's not transitory, the inflation that is currently pervading the United States? It might actually become embedded for a certain period of time. Yes, I mean, I think that what they want to do is that they want to basically sort of having undershot their, persistently undershot their inflation target, you know, for a long time now. A couple of years ago, they basically conducted a review and concluded that basically they need a more sort of symmetrical policy, i.e. you allow inflation to exceed the target rather than getting too carried away on a preemptive basis, uh, particularly in a generally disinflationary environment. So the transitory word is what all of the central banks are, are using or have been using i.e. that we basically got we got some supply shocks to deal with because of the nature of COVID and the strength of the recovery, subsequent recovery. Um, uh, and that creates sort of bottlenecks and so forth. And that have, uh, and so some short run inflation pressures. Um, 
How long are they going to last? Well, we simply don't know. Uh, and then there's this longer run debate about, you know, actually, you know, the, the central banks are sleepwalking, you know, uh, and we're, we're, we're seeing a, a shift in inflation regime here or the beginnings of a, a shift in inflation regime is being incubated by their policies. We think the jury's out on that. So we think that basically a lot of the uh, inflation effects are transitory. Uh, and actually, the inflation prints over the next few months should be very good because of base effects falling out. So I think we got all a bit collectively a bit carried away about uh, about and we mixed up longer term inflation risks with shorter term inflation risks. So I think the headline inflation numbers are, are going to surprise positively now for a number of months, yes. you know, having got the sort of base effects out of the way. And um, and and so therefore, you know, there will be this sort of continuing debate. But the interesting thing about what they what the Fed said or what they didn't say, you know, is that, you know, this idea that they are, you know, actually unconcerned about inflation and don't see um, don't take seriously um, you know, their their sort of job of sort of trying to sustain an inflation rate around about two percent for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, that's clearly wrong. You know, so, so uh, you know, the, this idea that basically we're in a world of sort of perpetual dis- debasement and so forth, you know, is uh, is questionable. Uh, so I think at the moment, basically, we're going to see bonds rallying. We're going to see gold selling off. We're going to see the dollar rallying. Uh, so a whole bunch of things are going to happen. This is going to trigger them or it's in the process of triggering certain things that are underway. And because investor positioning has become extreme in a series of different, you know, a series of different asset classes. Uh, so, you know, I think people are generally short dollars. Yes. So the paying trade is the dollar rallies on this because the Fed basically has indicated that, uh, you know, they are going to be uh, guided. You know, they are going to respond to shifts in economic conditions. You know, clearly we now know that there's going to be a significant sort of fiscal component because of, you know, Biden, Biden managed to get any of his policies through on this front. So there's a big fiscal sort of element to it, which means that monetary, the monetary policy has to do, uh, unorthodox monetary policy has to do less potentially less heavy lifting. So I think that here we're basically sort of in a corrective environment in the summer. And it may well be that, you know, sort of bond bear market, basically cyclical bear market continues after a pause. Uh, But we can see some quite sharp moves that are going to be very uncomfortable for investors who become complacent in their positioning. Yes, of course. And that's what I'm going to come to now. Have you become complacent in your positioning as well? For example, you say to yourself, "Okay, if they're going to raise rates for a couple of meetings in 2023, then I've got to look at my curve positioning. You know, what do I do with the, the short end? What do I do with the long end in the United States? Have you had that discussion yet? So we see this as confirmatory of the position changes that we made from April simply because we pay a lot of attention to what's happening in China, uh, as I referred to earlier, uh, and we started to become increasingly uncomfortable with that because we thought that actually Chinese credit impulse would remain sort of pretty structurally positive, you know, really for, you know, for a longer period than has actually proved to be the case. So that put us on our guard and we started to basically make adjustments there. Uh, and also we pay a lot of attention to to the actual inflation numbers. Yes. Uh, and uh, and so I think what we had here clearly was a divergence between, you know, sure, in the short term, inflation numbers were going to be scary at the headline level, not necessarily the core level, but the headline level. 
And the narrative had become sort of all-consuming. You know, there's the only thing that people have been talking about, which is basically our central banks are complacent. You know, we're now moving into a new inflation regime. And so, therefore, buy lots of inflation hedge assets and, you know, basically don't touch anything that's going to be sort of negatively impacted by a sort of structural move up, a secular move up in inflation rates. I think the jury's still out on that. Uh, but in the short term, uh, inflation concerns have been more than fully priced, as you can see in the sort of pricing of break-evens in the, in, in, in the U.S. market. Yes. So, you know, we believe that it's right to temper general enthusiasm because the risk environment has shifted from a liquidity perspective. And we will see whether that's basically temporary. Uh, or whether that's, you know, we're going to have headwinds, liquidity headwinds now, you know, for an extended period. Philip, thanks so much for your analysis. That's Philip Saunders, who's the co-head of Multi-Asset Growth 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.